good to worship with you again. This uh, job I have is interesting in that I get to uh, often be with folks. Some of their hardest days in the last uh, seven days, I with a man I know well, Dick Ryerson from uh, over at Radius White Knoll, and uh, was, was able to stand by him as he buried his wife. Of many years, wonderful woman, and great relationship between the two of them. Barbara blessed so many people, so to stand there and it was an honor. It's an honor to be there with him. I've also had this, this honor of being with folks when uh, it's just absolutely tragic and surprising. And it was stand there, and as many of you have with your friends, when something went awry that you couldn't imagine and you were able to be there, stand strong. And, uh, it's, it's just good, right? I have this, this other honor, and I, I, I want to explain it to you as we read this psalm today. There have been many occasions, so 52, I've been in ministry for a while, to stand with a brother or sister in Christ who has really trained wrecked their lives, and they've finally come to this point of repentance. And to watch that man or woman come to the end, come to the end of themselves, and weep, and regret some of their actions and then place them before God and tell God who he is despite the shame of the moment. Oh, there's no, it's an amazing honor to uh, get to partner with, with other folks that know the Lord and watch the Lord do what he does and bring redemption into something that they have really train wrecked. This Psalm 51 is, is, is an amazing psalm. It's humbling to read because David has train wrecked his life and he writes it out for us. He puts it right there in black and white so that we could read over it on our darkest days and allow God's word through David's mouth to help heal our soul. See, amazing lines in this psalm. It's, a, it's not long, it's medium. But there's a, a, a little worship song that I, I sing often. I hum it. I never get the words right. That annoys everybody at my house, but I get them close enough. And it, it, it captures a few lines out of Psalm 51. And I can remember holding the babies. <laughs> I had six of them, so I had plenty of baby holding time. Feel a little overwhelmed as a dad and knowing that I'm not qualified to be a dad. Knowing that I can't carry the weight that God wants me to as a spiritual man for my family and feeling that so heavy and singing or humming. And, you know, you guys know I'm not a great singer, but I like to sing. Creating me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. I just hum it over and sing it over and mix up the lines, sing them at the wrong spot while I'm rocking one of my six children to bed to, to sleep at night. And the peace that comes, knowing that I come up short, the scripture tells me that I come up short. And then I just know it as a matter of fact. The peace that comes from being able to sing the lines from a man who train wrecked his life. It's wonderful. Man, I want you to take in this psalm with me for just a few minutes. 
And I hope that by the end of it, you're ready to write your own. To take a little time and write your own psalm. It doesn't have to be as poetic. David's, you know, the master <laughs> poet, songwriter. I'm not asking you to be a singer-songwriter. I'm just saying, really, really be cool if today you block some time out after you take this talk, and, uh, this talk in and write a message to God. I want to read to you Psalm 51. What's interesting is we often jump right to verse 1, but particularly in Psalm 51, there's this little part right before that's actually inspired text. It was, it was written as a part of the Bible. It wasn't added later by the, by the editor of your Bible. It says, for the choir director, a Psalm of David. So David wrote this Psalm and he wanted to give it to the choir director who's going to lead the people of Israel in worship. And then it says, it actually gives us the context in which the psalm was written regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So it actually identifies this moment. Nathan, a prophet, confronts David about sin, a particular sin that uh, uh, was devastating to David's life and to his family's life. And he writes this song out. So he's broken when he writes it. We don't know exactly when he wrote it, if it was a few months after Nathan came, if it was, we don't know how long, but he, he remembers all the emotion of his brokenness and it is rich. And I can't wait for you to have it as a tool for your life. Give you a little context. If you know how the Bible works, uh, there's a lot of history in the Old Testament. And so there's these first and seconds. There's first and second Samuel. There's first and second Kings. And there's first and second Chronicles. And, and a lot of that's the history of the nation of Israel. And particularly sections are named after kings. Um, and, and, and you'll learn about one or two kings in, in uh, the life of the nation of Israel. David is the greatest of all the kings. And so first Samuel, he's kind of working his way. He's been anointed to be the king, but he's not the king yet. And when you come to second Samuel, he's actually the king. And he has become so famous in the world because of his integrity, because of the way God uses him and puts him in play to bless the world. Years on end, he's been faithful, not perfect, but faithful to God and faithful to the mission of establishing his kingdom and he comes to this particular year when he writes this psalm. And it's, it's got this crazy line in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, in the spring of the year, when the kings normally went out to war, David sent Joab. It's this really scary line for me and has been for a long time. Because in a few minutes, I'm going to read a few more verses. And you're going to see David fall into sin destructive sin and I always recognize that little line right there at the beginning when kings normally go out to war I'm gonna tell you right now we are in COVID normal right right we had normal and now we're in the new normal COVID normal and and many of us have struggled either because our rhythms broke or because there's this isolation where we don't have the same relationships working for us as we did. In this particular case, David's choosing not go, to go back to war. We don't know exactly why. He might have been, might have eaten too much over the course of the season, right? And just felt lazy and didn't feel like going back. He may have been passive. He's been to war so many times. He, he doesn't want to get back in there and get dirty again. We, we don't know. He may have lost his passion for the kingdom or for God. 
may have been depressed and just felt like staying in bed. He's the king. He could do what he wanted to. He may have been tired. He's established this kingdom, the whole world talking. He may have been full of it. Because he became so famous, he felt like he didn't need to do it anymore. We don't, we don't know what the issue was, but we do know that he cho- chose to not go back to war. Always scares me that at some point, I won't be willing to go back to this spiritual war and that I might get complacent and then fall into a trap. Read, what, read with me what happens. Said he, uh, they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Reba. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Verse 2 of chapter 11. Late one afternoon after a midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of his palace. You only get to do this if you're a king. And he looked out over the city and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And he sent someone to find out who she was. Let me just make this a little bit more difficult. Uh, He's going to know her husband. Not just by name, but personally. He's probably going to know her father and yet... He still sends someone out to see who she was. They come back and report and they name her and they name his hus- her husband, Uriah, and her, and her father in the passage, Eliam. And it says, David sent messages to get her. NLT kind of softens that. Other translations uh, use the word sent, sent messengers to take her. Hebrew actually could be translated seize or capture. So he's going to absolutely abuse his authority and send messengers into her home and bring her to his home. What's the Bible say? She came to the palace and he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after a menstrual period and then she returned home. You got this crazy story of this great man who God has used over and over and over and in his new normal. Would you go with me? His COVID normal. He's broken, he's broken a rhythm. And as he was in that broken rhythm, he walks across his roof and he sees something and he wants it. And we don't know if his heart was already predisposed to that. We don't know what it was. He wants it. He does everything he can to get it even to the point of forcing her to come to his home. Let me, let me just, everybody taking this in. Men, women, students, there's gonna come a moment in COVID normal where uh, you're gonna wake up, you're gonna be walking around, looking out the windows, looking at a screen, and you're gonna see something. And uh, it's gonna be attractive to you. And you're going to know deep within that, that this thing that you're looking at that's got your attention is going to be destructive and you have got to walk away. One of the reasons I'm arguing so hard for you not to be isolated right now. It's, it's great if you're taking this at home and, and you're staying at home on purpose, but I just don't want you to be isolated. Like take this content in with somebody else, even if, it's, if you're texting back and forth while you're taking it in. So somebody's walking with you because there's this danger of isolation as we're in this new normal, this COVID normal that we're going to walk out on. <laughs> most of us don't have palaces. We're going to walk out and we're going to see this thing. And we're out of rhythm. We're, we're a little bit jacked up right now because our stuff's all going like this. And, and there's going to be this temptation to lean toward it. 
And as I take this story in, every time I read it, I just feel, oh, David's got all of this influence. He's done all of this good. And in, in this moment of weakness, if you want to call it that, it may be a little soft, of uh, desire, he throws it away. Sleeps with Bathsheba in the last verse. Says that she sent David a message and said, I'm pregnant. When you read the passage, what's frustrating is, I don't know about you, but I got to see six plus signs. Cheryl actually, April fooled me one time with a seventh, and I about passed out in the bathroom. She left it by my toothbrush. I'm like, we're having another one. I mean, they won't fit in the suburban. How are we going to do this? It is like this intense moment when you know you're taking on the responsibility of a child into your life. So, so David gets this plus sign sent to him by Bathsheba, and it has no effect on him. There's no repentance. I shouldn't say it has no effect. There's no repentance. He goes into cover mode. And if you read the end of chapter 11, man, David's a hero of mine. It's just disappointing. He goes through the process of first trying to convince Uriah that it's his child. It's a long story. You can read uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And eventually having Uriah pushed to the front of the battlefield and for all intents and person murdered, killed by the enemy. So nobody would ever know, but David had him moved to the front so he'd be killed so that this story would never come, come out into the open and he could have his wife. It's, uh, it's depressing and hard to read. And yet I know us, right? I know us, Radius Church, I know us. And I know how our minds, because I'm one of us, I know how our minds, I know how close we can be to this same situation. And then God sends a messenger. And that's how this psalm kind of starts again. It says, a psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him. So it's not actually referring specifically to this sin in David's life. It's referring to the moment when it, the sin was exposed by a prophet. Prophet Nathan comes to him. You talk about a dude that's got some guts. He comes to the king, one of the, not only the most popular man of the line, the most powerful man, man of, of his time. And Nathan comes in as a representative of God and he calls him out for his sin. He does it with a story, which is in some ways the best way to get somebody's heart. Oh, I think I'll take a minute and read it to you. It's in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. So it's a God-inspired story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. Listen to this, it's going to make you mad. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle and the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised the little lamb and it grew up with his children and it ate at the man's, from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. You can imagine this little lamb at your table. He cuddled it up in his arms like a baby daughter and one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing the animal from his flock or his herd, of which he had many, he took the more poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. You angry? That kind of stuff makes me want to fight. That makes a great movie where we're going to get revenge on the rich man. Like that's, that's how it goes. And David was furious and he was ready to act because he thought the story was true. As surely as the Lord lives, you can imagine yelling in the palace as Nathan tells this story. Any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. And he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. 
And then there's this famous line, and I want you to hear it. I want you to let it sink into your soul. Nathan looks at the king of Israel, and he says, you're the man. I don't know how bold Nathan was. I don't know if he shouted, you're the man. But there was something certain in that moment. David was cornered by a story that God had given through a prophet Nathan and convicted of his sin. It was right there in front of him. (laughs) I'm humbled by the responsibility that I have right now to tell this story and read this passage because perhaps God would be making a statement to you right now about something in your life. Might be nothing like this. It might be not quite so dramatic or quite so damaging. But perhaps even as you hear that story and hear God say through Nathan to David that you are the man. And perhaps this week while you were at work, there was a lady who's struggling. And uh, you had a lot of fun talking about her brokenness behind her back. And that story applies to you. And that would mean you're the man or you're the woman. Perhaps there's somebody on the football field you've been working out with, you're a student, you're playing football, which is great. And you had this opportunity to kind of get a leg up, so you told a lie about that particular guy on the football field, and so you're the man. Perhaps there's this financial situation, you had the opportunity to take care, of, take care or take advantage of a customer, and you just moved the numbers a little bit and moved the activity a little bit, and it landed well in your favor, and they don't know anything about it, never will. You're the man. I hear the story. It gets in our business quick. That's one of the things that I love, how God took this story and he gave it to Nathan to penetrate the heart of David. Why? Because God loves David. And he wants the best for David. And the best for David is for David to repent and be right with God again. It's the best part of life, being right with God, having this relationship with God. In a minute, if you continue to read it, and we won't have to take the time, but if you keep reading uh, uh, 2 Samuel 12, Nathan's going to unpack all the consequences for that sin. And they are deep consequences. This child that Bathsheba's pregnant with is going to die. Young boy, never going to take on a name. He's going to die. And then there's this list of consequences that David has brought on his family. As a matter of fact, if you want to read on through 2 Samuel, you'll see those consequences play out. It's going to cost him dearly. It's going to cost the nation dearly. That sin was devastating to the people of Israel. Sometimes I think uh, we talk about consequences too much. And sometimes perhaps in days past, the church would just rail on the consequences. And we actually try to motivate people to stay away from sin by all the consequences. And, and there's, there's some right in that. And then it can get carried away because then the next thing you know, the only reason we're not falling in sin is because we're afraid it's going to make our life bad. Not because we love God. We can almost take God out of the picture. And then we go the other way, and we've kind of got our society is arguing for this, that, that it's, it's wrong to call anything sin. 
that you, you never pointed out. And you don't hold your, even your own children responsible for their sin. You don't call it out. You don't tell them the truth. You don't rescue them from it by, by, by bringing discipline to it. And so you got this, this other kind of movement that is just destructive as this movement. We talk about consequences all the time and try to motivate and then afraid of talking about consequences. And, and sometimes in the church, we actually bathe that in one idea of God, which is grace. And we're really uncomfortable with mixing in some holiness. They go hand in hand. You can't understand the grace unless you have the holiness. And so, so they're supposed to come together and they produce health. And man, I want that for us at Radius. I really want us to live in that tension of holiness and, and uh, grace. I want our town to see it from us, that we take serious the sin in our lives and in our community lives. And at the same time, we are thrilled with the grace of God and his willingness to come meet us in, even as sinners. And so in response to this really difficult moment, as David sees his sin, he repents out loud before Nathan and God. He actually says that he sinned against God. And then at some point in the future, he writes this psalm, which I simply want to read. And I want you to think about writing one of your own. He says this, have mercy on me, O God. What a great start, right? Have mercy on me, O God. He recognized the sin. Nathan called him out. Nathan was faithful to him. I hope you got a friend that'll be faithful to you. He's faithful to him. And then David goes to repentance. Have mercy on me, O God. He knows he is wrong and he knows who God is. So then he goes back and forth between worship and repentance. And then sometimes he just makes a statement about what God's going to do because of who God is and because of how broken David is. Check it out. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. You see these statements he's making to God because of who God is, because of who David is. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. Here's the repentance. It haunts me day and night against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. That's a lot of truth. He tells God how great he is, and then he just fully owns his sin. That particular line in there, it haunts me day and night. You ever had that? You ever had something haunt you day and night? I have. My sin making me sick on my insides. I'm thinking about it as I'm going to bed. I'm thinking about it when I get up. And as I go through the day, just regretting where I've gone. Not just because of what people are going to think. Not just because of the loved ones that I might hurt. But because of this relationship with God. It's, it's as if as you read this psalm, David's greatest fear is his loss of an earthly relationship with God. It doesn't seem like he's concerned about eternity. He feels, seems secure about eternity. It, he's not even praying for his family. He's not even praying for his nation. He's praying about this, this relationship that he has with God for the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years of his life. He does not want to lose that relationship. And so he tells God how great he is and he acknowledges his deep sin. Some of y'all are like, right now you got, bro, please, I beg you. 
bring that stuff out into the open and allow God to deal with it. And as you bring it out, tell him who he is and claim who he is. But recognize it for what it is and own it. Let me keep reading. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, uh, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. It's this crazy. Recognize what this dude just did. Give me back. He, only, he knows the only place he's ever going to get joy again if he submits to God. Uh, you have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Imagine like a couple teardrops on the page while he's writing. It's broken. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I wonder if he was remembering King Saul and King Saul's eventual rebellion against God and God's removal of his spirit from King Saul. And David does not want any part of that. He's finally recognizing somebody had called it out. But once it was in front of him, he's repenting and begging God to maintain relationship with him. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey you. Some of y'all are so amped up about politics right now, you have forgotten the joy of your salvation. You talk about the left or the right all the time, and there's been just limited, five times to one, talking about the left or the right, to one mention of Jesus' name. I get caught in that stuff. Not often with politics, but with other things that I love. And I tend to talk about them, even if it's just small talk, and I can't produce. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. You remember when you just used to talk about Jesus all the time, and, and this hand had a high count of Jesus mentions in the week, and, and this other stuff just didn't compare? Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and then I'll return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. And then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. There's this pretty cool movement. He worships. He repents. He worships. He repents. He makes statements about God. And then he responds. He says, Lord, as you live out who you are by forgiving me, I will respond and I will tell others. This is our responsibility, COVID or no COVID. Radius Church, we name this thing Radius because we are overwhelmed by the broken body and blood of Jesus that brings us salvation. And so it is our responsibility to respond because the, looking at the bread and juice shows us that we're sinners and that he's a gracious, forgiving God and our neighbors got to know it. My teammates need to know it. My coworkers, they need to know it. David says, if you'll do it again, if you'll forgive me, Lord, I will tell. Even the rebels, unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Pretty interesting line, verse 16. You do not desire sacrifice. All right, offer one. It's almost as if David, looking at his sin, is so filthy and vile that no sacrifice of a lamb seems worthy. You ever, you ever pray and you're confessing something that you've done over and over to your wife in the dark when nobody else knows? 
And he's like, he can't forgive me anymore. There's no sacrifice. But to see, see the reality, as David says, you do not desire a sacrifice or an offering. You do not desire, an, uh, uh, you do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You and I actually get to walk in on a Sunday, somewhere in person in a parking lot, maybe at your home, taking this on the screen. We get to walk in and take bread and juice and actually point to an offering, to a sacrifice that was enough. But the way we align ourselves with the lamb, the capital L lamb, the broken body of Jesus and his blood spilled is by having a broken spirit, by repenting. And let me just tell you, man, like, like if you're taking bread and juice and you're just doing it out of duty and you come and worship, you hang out, even online, and there's no broken spirit, it's not really worship. It starts with repentance. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Oh God, he's speaking of who God is. And if you, no matter what your life has looked like to this point, will bring it before him, he's ready. I thought, man, every time I read this passage, will one like it? There's a group of people taking this in on video or, or uh, in person out in the parking lot and grassy fields that we're meeting in right now. There's a group of people that are having an affair right now. Having an emotional affair, leaning toward one. There's a group of people that are uh, stuck in some sort of addiction that's hidden, nobody knows about. It could be on a screen or it could be with uh, some sort of drug or uh, it could be alcohol is kind of hidden and it is just destroying you. Know it. It's eating at you. It's weighing on you day and night. And man, I just, but we, we, one of the things we love to do here, and we got a track record of doing it, is helping people bring that stuff into light and let's deal with it. Jesus is ready. He's looking for a, a contrite spirit, someone who's ready to repent. He's already done all the work. He wants to bring redemption and he will walk you through the process of becoming healthy again, as will we as his servants. Some of y'all, uh, your marriage is not near as good a shape as everybody thinks it is. And that thing just is nagging at you because you know you've got a portion of it to own. And she has a portion or he has a portion and you just don't want to bring it to light. But this ain't all about marriage, but there's this thing when your marriage is off, then it seems to put up this barrier on how you can connect with the living God. And David, despite all the consequences he's going to pay because of this sin, he absolutely wants to be back in communion with God. And, but when I'm not right with Cheryl, my prayer life ain't real good. As a matter of fact, the book in Peter actually says that God doesn't hear my prayers when I don't treat Cheryl well. Some of y'all have just been paralyzed by COVID. Like it, it, it's got you so afraid that uh, it's become idolatry. It's what you think about all the time. You're taking in all kind of information that continues to move you into, into kind of the corner. You might not be afraid of getting sick. You might be afraid of losing money. You might be afraid of the unrest, any and all of that. Even the race conversation, which has a lot of validity and we need to have as a nation, it can become idolatry. It can become the center of our mind. And the next thing you know, that is more important than the fact that Jesus wants to redeem us. And we keep pushing our way away from community and pushing ourselves into isolation. And, well, this is a day to take Psalm 51 and agree with David. Maybe our mess isn't quite as bad as his mess. 
But, bro, I don't know about you. I do not want to lose that communion. That's the best part of my life, the communion that I have with God. If you haven't tasted that yet, we want to walk you down that road. So maybe, uh, maybe this evening, this afternoon, take out a piece of paper and you write a little psalm to God. You repent of whatever's nagging at you right now. And while you're owning your stuff, you make sure to state who he is. There's nothing like the renewal, the uh, great health that comes from pushing back to God. I want that for us. Radius, we've got to lead that uh, in, in Lexington County right now, over in Saluda, over in Irma. We've got to lead our, uh, the people around us and our people back to a communion with God that's deep. Let's do it. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray that for each man and woman student that might take a minute to write to you today, you meet them in the writing. Even if it's just five sentences, Lord, that they would have some creativity, but they would be true. They would tell the truth about themselves. They'd be honest. Confess sin if necessary. Confess pain. And then worship. I trust you with our body, Lord. Keep chasing us. Lord, there's man or woman out there right now that needs to bring something pretty bad into the light. Give them the confidence to bring it to light because of who you are. Lord, we would love it if we could be a service to them and help walk them out of, out of that deep ditch. Please move, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray.